Stand by, Mark. Okay. All right. It is uh, God is truth. This is the overarching theme um, in the universe. Uh, let's let's begin with Father. Uh, we uh, thank you with all of our heart that we can speak that word, Father, and it's not. Uh, it is not a, uh, a prayer, a chant, a word that means nothing to us, but it is, it is a personal relationship that you have given to us by transforming our souls on account of our faith in Jesus Christ. And this, Father, according to the truth of your word, gospel, we thank you for saving our souls and for so working in us not just unto salvation, but setting us apart by day so that we would be son, our Lord Jesus. We pray that the uh, teaching this morning and our learning together would be compelling, would, Lord, stretch us, and it would inspire us, uh, not only in our minds, but in every thought, to know you to be like you. And we pray that you would do this work Ask in Jesus' name, Amen. So, um, uh, of course, Matt Soul, Souls was here uh, last week. Uh, I thought he did a great job of uh, talking about the, the physicality, really, of our life in Christ, and uh, urged us to um, thoughtful in that area. And so, um, you know, as we look at this uh, drawing here, we've done a lot of things. Um, you know, first session, first couple of sessions, we talked about recognizing the noise in our soul. And of course, our core verse is Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Uh, that idea of being still is to really be have a surrendered heart, to stop ceasing after worldly uh, reasonings and logic and those kinds of things, but really to trust the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And we identified... Uh, Several of, of the noises that uh, ultimately end up in our soul, anxiety, worry, anger. Uh, and then from that, um, the cure of that unstillness in our soul in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, that is in essence, um, he says, come to me. So that, that, that is, in a summary, a sense of the cure that we have for this unstillness or potential unstillness in our soul. We talked about recognizing the source of that unstillness, and ultimately it comes down to unbelief. That is where the unstillness starts, this disquietedness in our soul. So we really need to cling to the Word no matter what is happening around us. We, uh, so that's really the noise in our soul and its source. And we talked about tracking our way down. Tracking our way down, of course, the great disorder of our natural heart is unbelief. And um, unbelief is simply replacing the truth with what? Lie. It's replacing the truth with a lie. And, and it's rejecting anything true about God. It's rejecting anything that is true about God. That's unbelief. So unbelief, of course, leads to discontentment, which is the dissatisfaction of not having what, what we've decided we need. That's what discontentment is. So we took a little survey, you know, as, as part of uh, our class lesson, and uh, in that survey, uh, overwhelming selection of fear and anxiety was, was rated very high. Class is concerned. So 
So basically, we took that, that noise, if you will, noise, and, uh, and, and tried to dissect that. What we understood was that these thoughts are a result of repetition, of concentration, uh, of, of certain wrong thoughts, of doubt. And um, our memories are very predictable. So if we concentrate on something long enough, very diligently, our, our mind is imprinted very deeply. And so we begin, we begin this downward spiral of, of, of these thoughts, these wrong thoughts, these thoughts really that are against the truth of God's word. And, uh, and interestingly, that tracks us down. Uh, of course, you have that discontentment, and, and ultimately, you know, beyond discontentment, as you head down, you have despair and hopelessness. So that's the way down. So the way out is, is very similar in terms of the discipline of how we get out. So it's that repetition, that diligent uh, remembering of the truth. Um, and so... When you do that, we gradually lose much of that, that what seems to be irresistible force that's taking us down when we remind ourselves of the truth, memorizing and those kinds. So, so in essence, what we're doing to get out is we're replacing, we're taking every thought what? Captive to the mind of Christ. Okay, that, that really is uh, how we're going to get out of this. And of course... Replacing the enemy thoughts of anxiety and fear, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And that's the beginning, that's our way out of of this um, anxiety, of this fear, of this uh, noise, if you will, in the soul. So our conclusion was, growth in the knowledge of God is the only solution to anxious and fearful hearts. Now, you can put any kind of noise in there. I mean, put, uh, you know, growth in the Lord, the knowledge of God is, uh, you know, resolves not just anxiety and fear, but it resolves greed. It resolves any type of sin issue that you're dealing with. Today, we, uh, we want to uh, sort of laid a foundation of getting out. We sort of laid the foundation as far as discipline-wise, what we need to be doing with our thoughts and our beliefs. Um, God is truth. But we want to begin to lay a foundation of, um, of doctrine, um, very practically speaking, that, w- that will help us um, get out, if you will, the way out, and of course sort of springboard us into forward. So what I thought we would do today is speak uh, talk about the sufficiency of God. Um, now that doctrine in Scripture is, uh, is a wonderful doctrine in Scripture. We're not going to take that particular doctrine systematically and go through the entire Bible and talk about the sufficiency of God. What we're going to do is, is we're going to take um, a very practical look at it um, in other words, our response, what should our response be to the sufficiency of God? And we're going to take one word, and that word is contentment. That's where we're going to spend our time today. Um, so we're talking about the sufficiency of God, but we're, in essence we're talking about our response to the sufficiency of God should be contentment. So, you know, where do all these things fit as far as words are concerned? Uh, I think everybody has the book, you know, Humility 
by Andrew Murray. And I hope you've had an opportunity to read through some of this. Um, it is it is a great blessing, this book. Um, he is a uh, what I would call a modern-day Puritan. He's passed away. Uh, he's 1800s, early 1900 guy. But he's just, the way he writes, he writes like a Puritan. And if you've ever read Puritan writing, it's just so, every word is, 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 is not wasted. There's not, there's not a single word in a sentence that is wasted when you read good Puritan writing. So, and he's, he's kind of a contemporary of that. Outstanding. So um, he says in the book, Andrew Murray, about humility... He says that humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with the others. It is the root of all, because it alone assumes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. So you got humility, which is the root of all the graces, of all the virtue, right? And so think of contentment. Where does contentment fit into that? Contentment is, um, my wife made chili last night. Oh, how smelled. In fact, we had somebody over who's helped me move something, and um, he smelled it too. He says, wow, it smells good. He's coming over this afternoon, so he's like, wow, that's, that's really good. So um, contentment is the aroma. It's the aroma of humility. That's kind of how it fits, all right, in, 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 as far as uh, words and values and virtues and, and graces, if you will. So we're going to talk about four things relative to contentment. We're going to talk about the excellency of contentment. And in that context, we're going to talk about Paul's teaching about contentment and his testimony about contentment. So we have the excellency of contentment. We'll talk about the essence of contentment. We'll define that. We'll talk about the enemy of contentment. And uh, we'll talk, lastly and fourthly, about the enjoyment. How do we... How do we really enjoy being contented with God? So uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So uh, Paul's teaching here relative to contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, we read, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and, dis- and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied with, or excuse me, when accompanied by contentment. So true wealth in God's scheme of life is a godliness that is maturing. It's a godliness that's maturing. And, um, and, and one, of the, one of the elements that you notice about a maturing godliness in someone is their contentment. That's, that's an indication that, uh, that, that we're, we're growing, we're maturing. This contentment is, is growing in us. Um, Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan in the 1600s, he wrote many books. One of those books that he wrote was The Art of Divine Contentment. And... Um, 
outstanding book. And uh, it was an exposition of a single verse. And that single verse was um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, which says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So he wrote this book and expounded um, an entire uh, verse in, in that one particular book. And so he also said this, and you have to, I would say some things a little bit differently than the Puritans said it because sometimes they're just, I mean, they, they just don't pull any punches. Uh, he says the doctrine of contentment is superlative. And until we have learned it, we have not learned to be Christian. I would, I would, I would um, adjust that a little bit to say the doctrine of contentment is superlative, and until we have learned it, we have not learned to be fully Christian. And um, <coughs> so, godliness with contentment is great, great gain. That's what God says in His Word. So, contentment is the aroma of humility, is the mark of Christian maturity in our lives. Um, and just like uh, Pastor Michael taught about wisdom, there were three elements to godly wisdom. Remember what those were? first one was discernment. second one was strategy. And third one was action. Right. He said you could have the first two, right? And still be a fool. Right? Because you don't implement. You don't take action. So you could have a form of godliness, right? You could have a lot of knowledge, right? I, you know, there are a lot of people out there have a lot of knowledge, but, but they're not very contented people. So what God says to us in His Word is, listen, a mark of a mature believer, a mature godly person is they're growing in their contentment wherever God has them. So that's Paul's teaching on this idea of uh, the sufficiency of God. And let's, let's take a look at his testimony. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, if you'll turn there. <coughs> so Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 13. And when somebody gets there, you just pick it up and, and read it. 10 through 13. Jesus Christ, we knew what you were talking about. You were just interpreting for us. He was expounding for us. Thank you very much. Um, okay, uh, this is very interesting. He, he says, for I have learned to be content. Okay? So contentment is what? It's a learned discipline. It's very good. It is, it is it's a process of, of what you go through in learning. Now, Think about this. Paul is writing to what church? What group of people? Philippians. Okay. So let's consider the context here. So um, Epaphrodites, okay, sent with a care package to Paul. Okay. And Paul received this. Of course, he's so excited. Is he excited to get the care? I mean, uh, I, I guess to eat the cookies, if you will. Yes, of course he is to some degree. But where's his greatest excitement in this? Yeah, part? yeah. Those who sent it. He just He's so excited for them that their hearts are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're acting it out. They're, they're caring for him. And Epaphroditus, what, what, what did we learn about him earlier in the chap, chapter 2? That he was... 
Paul said that he was sick, right? How sick was he? He almost died, right? God spared his life. Of course, just imagine this for a little bit here. This man who was almost dead, and God spared him. And uh, Paul pens this letter on a scroll, and he's carrying this scroll back to his assembly in Philippi. And brings this scroll to the elders, and the elders assemble the people and in unrolling the scroll and, and read. I want you to imagine for a minute sitting in that room. And maybe, this is sort of an allegory here, maybe there's an older man somewhere in that group with his family. He's listening to us. So, so I, I, want, I want to take you to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, I'll begin reading in verse 23. When they had struck them, that is Paul and Silas, with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, that is the jailer, having received, excuse me, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute. I don't know what you're, what you picture when you hear or you read, they fastened their feet in stocks. But, but it wasn't this loosely fitted iron that had lengthy chains so that you could lay on the ground and pretty much be comfortable moving your feet any way you wanted. Okay, The intention of fastening feet and hands to stocks was, was an intentional... Um, brutal uh, way of positioning ankles and wrists, if you will, in the most uncomfortable position. So I'm certain that his feet, Silas's feet and Paul's feet, were not in these in these in these things um, that were very comfortable. They were extremely uncomfortable. Just imagine that. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Would you say that's contentment? I would say that is. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were uh, shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. The story goes on. The truth goes on. He actually brought them to his house, and he served them. This is the Philippian jailer. So the elders have now rolled out the scroll. Paul has written. And who knows? Maybe the Philippian family saved and his grandkids. And he's listening. And he hears that Paul writes in Philippians, I've learned to be... And he thinks back to what? He thinks back to that, that day when Paul and Silas were, were in stocks. They were extremely uncomfortable. And, and you know, he raises his hand and he says, Can I give a testimony? And he, and, he, and he goes up there and he says, This man speaks the truth because, because I was there. And, and he not only says it, but he lives it. That's a testimony. So, so, you know, the Apostle Paul, by the way, 
outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only person in Scripture who says to follow Him. That's, he's the only other outside of Christ. Now, He wasn't perfect, and I'm not trying to imply that. But, but, but He walked the walk. And He, uh, he had a fantastic testimony. So, so we read about His teaching, and consider His teaching, and consider His testimony. That's really the excellency of contentment. And the essence of contentment and we'll define uh, Christian contentment here in just a second. Um, and I hope you guys aren't annoyed by this, but I bring books from time to time. These, these are just helps, really, more than anything else. This is uh, Philippians in the Greek New Testament. Um, this is Kenneth, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth, Dr. Kenneth Woost is his name. He does, uh, uh, has published uh, a lot of uh, Greek uh, grammar helps and analytical help books. Uh, for lay people like you and I, and he uh, explains things about the Greek language that, uh, from, from my perspective, really bring color to certain words and the contexts. And so this is what he says about verse 11 in Philippians. He says, the words have learned are in a construction in the Greek which speaks of entrance into a new condition. In other words, it, it, it never existed before. So, so this idea of contentment being learned um, or getting back to this idea of godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the, that's the maturing process of, of a believer. He goes on to say, Paul's self-sufficiency was not a stoic kind. Not, you know, I'm just going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. That's not it at all. It was Christ's sufficiency. Paul's independence was not stoic independence, but dependence upon Christ. He found his sufficiency in Christ. He was independent of circumstances because he was dependent upon Christ. And, and he usually gives his, his own translation of the verse from the Greek. And so I'll, I'll read what he says. Translation, It is not that I speak as regards want, for so far as I am concerned... I have come to learn in the circumstances in which I am placed to be independent of these and sufficient in Christ. That's, um, but, but it is a, uh, it's, a, it's a new condition. It's a, it's a new condition that, that, that God is uh, working. And uh, Thomas Watson in his book um, you know, about contentment says, uh, he says, it is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal at every condition. And so simply put, I would say that uh, contentment means that we are satisfied with things as they are because God is more than enough. And so, yeah, that's good. else? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, the definition of Christian contentment, uh, the, the distinction of Christian contentment. Uh, first, what, what it's not. It's, it's not um, this passive resignation. In other words, uh, it, it's not taking human logic and reason and just saying, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to gut this out and you know, I'm going I'm to do it because whatever. That's, that's not what contentment is. That, that would be this passive resignation. So it's not passive resignation. It's, it's not a passive personality. Here's what I mean. Have you ever met someone 
uh, I'm thinking of someone in our f- relative, our family. Uh, but um, have you ever met someone who's just it's just a passive personality, really passive? It's like nothing phases them. Okay, and that doesn't mean that they're not godly. But just because you have a passive personality doesn't mean that you're a contented person. It's not it. You can have a passive personality and not be very content um, at all. It's just, and, and here's the measure. Here's the measure of my perspective. Um, what are they doing with their sin, and what are they doing with the sin of others? What I mean by that is a godly person with contentment is actively involved in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and coaching and helping and bearing other burdens and helping to restore other people. That's an active person, godly person who's contented. They're helping others do the same. You said this is a learned thing. So if you're walking with God, if you're walking with Christ, and you're living a life that's pleasing to Him, you're, you're going to be shoulder to shoulder next to other believers that are either learning, that are, they're, that are ahead of you, right? They're ahead of you, and, and they're, they're helping you and coaching you and those kinds of things. And, and, and you know, you're, you're with folks who are kind, you know, kind of together, you know, in terms of the learning process, and you're, you're mentoring those that, that, that aren't quite there yet. Maturity process. That's a measure of, you know, that personality, that content personality. So, so it's, it's not a passive resignation. Like you're talking yourself into it. It's not a passive personality only here. What it is, is it's, it's, it's learned, okay? And, and, and Mark saw my notes, so he's already a step ahead of me. <laughs> Through osmosis, maybe. So it is learned, right? Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Um, it's learned. It is grace-enabled. It's grace-enabled. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It is grace-enabled, this contentment. And then, it is void of covetousness. Completely void of covetousness. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will, <coughs> will I ever forsake you. And then lastly, it, it is stillness. It is that utter stillness in our soul, that quietness in our soul. <coughs> so we have the definition defined, we have this distinction of the Christian contentment, and then thirdly, the doctrinal foundation of Christian contentment. Uh, and we've said it already, it is the sufficiency of God. In other words, saying it differently, God is more than enough for me. He is more than enough for me. <coughs> um, Colossians chapter 1, if you could turn there. So, someone read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. There's a, there's a word in here that's used a lot. In fact, it's used more than any other word except for the pronouns of he and him, and so we'll exclude the pronouns and um, and see the emphasis here 
as it relates to the sufficiency, in this case of Christ, the sufficiency of God. So if somebody would read verses 15 through 23 and just be listening carefully to this repeated word. Did a certain word pop up quite a bit? All, yeah, the word all. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, we talk about the sufficiency of God, okay? It's, it's, it is sufficient. It covers everything, all things. And, um, and so that really is the foundation. God is more than enough. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall. So discontentment, you know, in other words, not believing God is truth, not believing that he is all sufficient, Discontentment means that we are denying the absolute sufficiency of God. Discontentment also means that we are denying response of absolute surrender to God. So we're denying the truth and refusing to respond in a way that God calls us to. So we need to remember that the way down is rooted in unbelief and God has not done, you know, People who are, are rooted in that unbelief on the way down, they think that God has not done enough for me. Um, he, I need something more. Um, if only I had those if only uh, sentences or anxieties or words or disquietedness come up. What are we thinking? What are we though? Though as a matter of counseling, talking with someone counseling with someone as you as you as you're having a discussion you're asking questions want to know what they're thinking, what are you thinking right because your thoughts drive everything well, you know, yeah. it does i think that does everything like or even though it's all about the death. yeah exactly mm-hmm. and then that's like i was like, I basically said yeah it's a, that's a good phrase pressure test if you look like you wanted to say okay yeah <laughs> i feel bad okay okay yeah. they were reading your mind right yeah. uh, that's all right ours in the room and father and son began like the whole paul mm. and silas yeah. story of ours just stacked mm. and let them out of Foolishness to them. Yeah, he's sufficient in all things. Um, So it is 10:29, and I'm at a break point. So pick this up. Uh, We'll talk about the enemy of contentment um, next week, along with the enjoyment of contentment. Yes. Uh, he sits sit next to him at home and pray that he sees everything I see. And I, all glory to God, I'm growing a little bit. I feel like we all have, we might not have this.